Watching people sharing the like Ted Cruz getting dunked on by Jimmy Kimmel and thinking that helps anything is really frustrating to me because that side you think is so anti-democratic and you're right. And that side of the Republican Party that is so dangerous and on the move, you're all right about that. And also what fuels them is the fight. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. On today's show, we are going to celebrate the incredible progress that is happening across the United States with regards to COVID-19. We're also going to talk about the Republican Party, opposite of progress there, arguably a little bit of regression. And then at the end of the show, and perhaps what I'm most excited to talk about, we're going to wax poetic about Olivia Rodrigo and her hit album, Sour. Before we get started, it means so much to us that so many of you shop with our sponsors. It's such a great way to support the show and the podcast industry in general. And so we are thrilled to finally have a page on our website with all our sponsor information for easy searching. You can find it in our show notes from here on out at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com slash sponsors. Before we get started with our conversation today, it just was important to me to take a wide view of all of us who are sitting here together thinking about these issues. You are listening right now with people who voted for Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Joe Jorgensen and lots of other people. You are listening with people who are in school and people who are well into retirement and everything in between. There are people listening while they're nursing babies and delivering Amazon packages and going for a run and researching black holes and lobbying Congress. You're listening with dreamers and police officers, people who are stationed on military bases throughout the world, librarians and chefs. You're listening with people who are transgender, people who've been married for 50 years, parents whose kids have just shared life-changing news with them, with people who are deeply religious, strong atheists, people who have no idea what they believe right now. And these are not like abstractions. If I sat long enough and thought about it, I could put names behind every single thing I just said. So when we're in your ears, you know, we are not trying to represent every perspective, and we are definitely not trying to convince you of anything. We're just sitting at this big, beautiful internet table thinking about our values and questions and actions as citizens with a whole bunch of other people. And we love doing it and are so honored that you're all here. So we're going to expand our moment of hope into this entire segment because there is so much to celebrate right now with regards to COVID-19. Something that really struck me is for this entire past year or longer, I have been very closely following Axios's map of the United States and states where the COVID cases are increasing, decreasing, or staying the same. I never liked the colors they picked, just for the record. They're weird colors. They were weird. It was like this funky tan and then turquoise, which is just whatever. That's not the point. The point is, I've been sort of obsessed with it. It's really, it just hit my sort of preferences really well. That's how I wanted to see it. I wanted to watch it weekly. I don't, I like colors instead of numbers. And so I've just, it's been in my life for over a year and they retired it this week. They said that the cases have been so consistently low. And that's true. Like the map for probably the last three to four weeks has been solidly turquoise. 
which means decreasing in almost every state. Wyoming popped up there like one one week. And I was like, what are you doing, Wyoming? But I guess Wyoming got it under control because they are retiring the map. And it really, because I've been watching it for so long, it hit me almost as hard as like the vaccine. It just felt like, no, wow, we're like really, really beating this thing. And I understand that that's not a universal experience. I understand that if you're listening outside the United States in a place where it's hard to get a vaccine, that is really, really difficult to hear. I'll also say I've appreciated that map because it's about the right amount of looking at the data for me. Mm -hmm. Just kind of having that sense of where is it increasing, where is it decreasing, where is it holding steady. It's been really accessible and valuable to me. And it did. It hit me really hard, too. Like, oh, my goodness, if this map is not needed because of where we are, we're really making progress. And that alongside this really aggressive push and I think creative problem-solving oriented push from the administration and from states across the United States to get more people vaccinated in the month of June, it just gives me a lot of hope. I'm solidly in the category of whatever it takes. And I like seeing the spectrum from pushing employers to make sure that people have time off both to get the vaccine and recover all the way through the lottery kind of thing. Like just We got a bunch of people out there. Let's do whatever we need to do to get them vaccinated. No, I totally agree with you about the other parts of the world. We got the most heartbreaking email from a listener in Manitoba, Canada, where they are like experiencing like the hardest of hardest shutdowns this late. I know it is so hard in so many other parts of the world. But, you know, I think a a lot about this quote I once heard from Dr. Phil. And listen, I don't quote Dr. Phil a lot. I really don't. I try not to actively quote Dr. Phil ever. But one of my favorite things I ever heard him say is if you're in a hospital bed and your leg is broken and the person next to you is in a coma, it doesn't make your leg not broken, right? Like you just have to. And I think it works in the reverse, too. Not only like acknowledging places where there is hardship, even if other people have hardships, but also acknowledging where you have things to celebrate, even if other people are not quite there with you yet. And I think it's just after this entirely difficult heartbreaking, tragic experience to to notice and recognize like things are getting better. Listen, I had to check myself because David Leonhardt at the New York Times was writing about the specifically the mask um, requirement and dropping it and how it has been motivating people to get the vaccine. And I think a couple things when he said the optimists were clearly right. And I was like, stay humble, Sarah, stay humble, because I have been a ho- and I've been an optimist, man, since that February when I felt us. Like really, when I felt that acceleration, just like on an energetic level, I just felt it. And I had we had so many listeners be like, I'm not going to get the vaccine till the fall. And I just it was all I could do not to be like, no, I don't really think that's true. Um, I was right. And I think even when the, the mass requirements, I think that particular moment where everybody was like, that's not going to motivate everybody, anybody. If we can be honest with ourselves was a moment where it was very clear where the politics had infested things when even if politics infest public health, which it most certainly has throughout this whole process, there are still objective public health realities, right? And I think like in this last couple weeks when there was like such optimism inside just the cold hard facts of the public health reality when it comes to COVID, But you could see this like overlay of political emotion on top of everything. It's just been really clarifying for me. And I think it's it's been 
if we'll let it, it can be a real illustration of it feels like politics is the own reality, but there is a reality underneath how we feel about the other side or our leadership or the government. And no place, I think, has that been more true than the last few weeks or even months in the inside the United States as, you know, we're still fighting and there's even fights on the left and people are mad or anxious, but the numbers just kept dropping. They just kept dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping, even in the face of variants, even in the face of states reopening way sooner than some people thought they should, like they just kept dropping. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. It's encouraging because I know some people are looking at the vaccine rates and saying, well, 
a lot of this is because we have a whole new category of people who can get the vaccines. And that makes sense to me that the the 12-year-old set up getting the vaccines helps those numbers go up. But the Axios map going away is indicative of infections going down, Mm -hmm. hospitalization going down, of death going down. And that's what, you know, like really makes me feel hopeful. Look, I know that listeners have had a very hard time with many of our COVID-related conversations lately, and I respect it. And I'm not telling anybody what to feel. And I will say that I have evolved in 50 directions and been wholly inconsistent in how I felt about this whole thing, because I'm a human being experiencing this in it with everybody else. And as I look at the lotteries, for example, I think I could spend a lot of time getting myself really upset that anybody needs to participate in a lottery to get a vaccine. But that would just be sort of arguing with the reality of things and the reality Mm -hmm. of things will always beat me in an argument. Mm -hmm. And so instead, I am just happy to see that we are bringing as many tools as we can find to attacking this problem. I think waxed and vaxed is good for solving this problem, right? Like every single that does that hit home with me? No, but I'm delighted (laughs) that it does with somebody like I'm I am for bringing the entire zeitgeist to this. Mm -hmm. And the point of the most contention for me with our listeners that I don't think I've ever really put words around. I get a sense from many of our listeners that there is a belief that vaccine hesitancy doesn't really exist at this point in the pandemic, Mm -hmm. that the people who have not gotten vaccinated yet are largely vaccine opposed. And the existence that I have here in my community does not align with that perspective. Yeah. I still see people who are really shifting in how they're thinking about this and people who are becoming more open every single day to getting the vaccines. Now, again, we all live in our own bubbles. Somebody on Instagram said the other day, I have to remember that my bubble is not everyone's bubble. I was like, put that on a pillow. Mm -hmm. So I know that my experience is not representative of the entirety of the United States. I also know in my community, it is not true that people who are not yet vaccinated will not get vaccinated. It is not even true. And I am seeing this in ways that really surprise me, that people who are not yet vaccinated will refuse to wear masks. I am still seeing here in the red, red, red tip of Kentucky, a lot of mask wearing in public spaces, even as it's not required. And so I just I feel both optimism about where we are and optimism about where we can be without, you know, continued heavy handed regulation. Well, and what I've learned, you know, over the past few weeks and months, you know, from our listeners. Is. That there are certain parts of our community nationwide and particularly people who are immunocompromised or have children that are immunocompromised who just feel ignored. Not wrongly. Not no. Wrongly. And who just feel ignored and not listened to. And I think there's becomes, and especially when there's like a political overlay, 
the only people who feel like aggrieved and ignored exist on the right. And that's not true. And I think there are lots of communities for that understand what it's like to just be left out of the conversation. And I also learned that there's not one type of immunocompromised experience, right? And there's an entire spectrum of experience. And, you know, that some people, when you say that when they're immunocompromised and they need to stay out of public spaces, no amount of masking is going to protect them. The best thing that's happened to them through COVID is the proliferation of virtual options so that they are opened up to the world through their computer in ways they weren't before, through doctor's visits and grocery delivery that makes their life so much better. And like that's an important part of the experience, too. And I think, you know, I was talking with a friend of mine who has an immunocompromised child and trying to like really think that through that experience. And I said, you know, what would be the like ADA equivalent? Like if we could wave a magic wand and integrate what we've learned through COVID to make you and your child's life better, what would that look like? And she's, you know, and we had this really, really great conversation where I learned a lot. And she said, you know, I don't think there's like a ramp equivalent really where like you throw a ramp on a building and all of a sudden that makes my life easier because the, the immunocompromised experience is very diverse and it's so individualized as to like your what your like your risk level based on your medical condition. The reason I asked her that is because what I really want to do through all of this is integrate what we've learned. I want to integrate mask wearing into the United States. Every cold and flu season, I think it will make everyone's lives better. And so I've been thinking about that and I think like if you don't allow any optimism and if you don't allow any hope in and you don't allow any like easing of restrictions, I think it really works against that integration. I think we have to take a breath, take a moment, dial it back so that we can say, okay, now what do we want to keep? What do we want to add back in? What do we want to make a part of our daily existence? And that to me is part of the optimism. That's part of the hope. When I say I'm hopeful and I'm optimistic, it doesn't mean that I want to go back to 2019 like 2020 never happened. I do not want that. I do not want that. I do not think that would be healthy or good for anyone. I think we've learned valuable things, and I want to to take that in and make that a holistic a part of who we are in 2022 and beyond. Well, speaking of integration, we also have evidence that the money is working. The COVID mm-hmm. relief money is working. And I will tell you, you know, I have had moments of fear about inflation, about how much money is being spent, about how targeted that money is. So I was really encouraged to hear from the New York Times. uh, Jason DeParle reported. I'm just going to I'm going to read it because I think it's so encouraging. A new analysis of Census Bureau surveys argues that the two latest rounds of aid significantly improved Americans' ability to buy food and pay household bills and reduced anxiety and depression with the largest benefits going to the poorest households and those with children. Among households with children, reports of food shortages fell 42% from January through April. A broader gauge of financial instability fell 43%. Among all households, frequent anxiety and depression fell by more than 20%. That's unbelievable. I just think that's so amazing, and they should put it on the cover of the New York Times once a month for the rest of our lives. (laughs) That just giving people the damn money helps. Let's not try to police people. Let's not try to decide what they need. Let's give them the money and let them decide for themselves. And I know that we have spent decades teaching every American that that's not how it works and that people will abuse the process and that people will blah on and on and on and on and on. And I just hope that this is 
of the continuance and another COVID acceleration of what we've known for a long time, what there's lots of data to support, which is that you should just give people the money. Okay, next up, we are going to take a decidedly less optimistic turn. So we just we just built a nice little foundation of hope because now we're going to talk about the Republican Party. Well, this is a conversation that I've been wanting to have because on this issue, I am decidedly less calm than you mm-hmm. are. And I was trying oh, I'm not to... calm. I'm not calm about this. No, but but you are, I think, a little bit more grounded about it than I am. And okay. so I wanted to kind of frame up for myself... Why do I want to talk about this and what question do I want to answer? And it helped me realize I do not want to do electability prognostications. Oh, yeah. No, that's I do not want to talk about who's going to win the House, how many Senate seats. Like, I don't want to do that stuff. I want to think about what is happening inside this party that used to be my party that I think is necessary to a functioning democracy you know, two healthy parties, I think, are necessary if we remain in our current system. And two healthy parties are necessary to making any kind of real systemic change. And so how do we assess what's going on honestly? And how do we respond thoughtfully as citizens? Those are my goals. How does that sound? Sounds great. My first bullet point as I was making my notes, Sarah, is I think if you look at state parties, local parties, the national party, and people who are actually casting votes in Congress, the only real conclusion is that even though he is no longer in office, Trumpism has won out over any other kind of animating philosophy within the party. I'm going to say this uh, a little more emotionally, but I think I'm right. They stacked these state parties because they were afraid they weren't going to lose in 2020 and were going to try to use the levers. I'm just going to say it how I mean it and cheat as best they could in in 2020. That didn't work. So they're not going to let 2024 pass them by without taking this opportunity again to use state parties and now election boards and election officials to subvert a free and fair election. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic. I don't think you're being hyperbolic either. I think there is a clear litmus test that minimally, to be a Republican in good standing, you need to think there were big problems in 2020. And And preferably, you believe that the 2020 election was outright stolen from Donald Trump and the people who voted for him. And the way you can tell that that is the message of the leadership is that it has trickled down into the party faithful to the point where like 60 percent of Republicans think that Joe Biden didn't win the election. It's insane. It's bananas. Well, and there are efforts to censure people who have said otherwise, successful efforts to censure people. And again, this is not the National Party, because usually in these conversations, I find myself saying, yeah, yeah, the National Party. But like there are Republicans who do a good job here in Kentucky. There are Republicans on the school board who do really good work. And while that is true of individuals, the party infrastructure has taken such a hard turn about the election. I can't remember who I read that said this. It was during the Liz Cheney saga. But they said, this is, you can't fairly call this a Republican civil war. It's a purge. It's a decision by the party to cast out people who don't think that the election was at least a problem. I can't decide what came first, the chicken or the egg. Is it that they decided we have to keep Trump 
And this is his reason for being. You know, we talked about this on the Nightly Nuance last night, that he cannot, despite the fact that it is clearly, clearly antithetical to his success, he cannot let go of this 2020 fight. He's going to stand up at these upcoming rallies and do the same crap, which is go on and on and on about how the 2020 election was stolen. So, like, was it that, well, we have to have him to win? You know, Lindsey Graham said the loud, part, the quiet part right out loud and said, there's no survival for us without him. And so they decided, well, this is all that he's going to talk about. So this is all that we're going to talk about. Or do they see that the the electoral future is changing for them, particularly in states like Texas and Georgia? And so... This also aligns with their political purposes, and it's not just driven by Donald Trump. I think it's the second one. I think that's probably right. I also think that the places in our lives where we try to exercise the most control always end up killing us in some way. Mm. I think where you you know try to exercise the most control over your kids, you provoke the most rebellion, you know, and with our bodies, with everything. I just think where you try to tighten. And so I think all of these efforts and successes that Republicans have had in drawing electoral maps that favor them, in making sure that parties are stacked with loyalists, I think all of that contraction is becoming a stranglehold and they can't get out of it, even if they want to. I I think that's what I hear when I hear Lindsey Graham talking about that. And the other reason you can tell it's not just driven by Trump is because they were trying this crap out in North Carolina a long time ago. When they saw that they were losing in North Carolina, they started to change the rules. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to describe what happened there. I mean, I think you see it in Kentucky when we got a Democratic governor. Oh, well, now we want to change the rules where the governor doesn't appoint the Senate replacement should a senator no longer fulfill his term. Now we want the party to do it. And it's the gerrymandering. It's the fight back in Michigan against bipartisan district drawing commissions. Like, I just think you see over and over again that we can't win on our ideas, so we will win by subverting the process. And it is so anti-democratic and it is so transparent that I just, I don't think it is purely driven by Trump. I think he's just the fuel on a strategy that's been in place for a while. And I know there are people who are speaking back into their car speakers or their headphones right now saying, But what about stacking the Supreme Court and what about eliminating the filibuster and all the ways that Democrats say they want to change the rules? What about all this effort to eliminate the Electoral College? And we have talked about those ideas and will again, I am certain. What I want to say for today is, to me, a key difference right now is that you have some real alignment within Republican leadership all the way down to the state and local parties on making sure that elections continue to favor Republicans. And you do not have that kind of ideological alignment within the Democratic Party. You have serious, hardcore fights about what to do about those things. And I think a fight is pretty healthy. I like a fight. I think that's Mm -hmm. very Democratic. I think our country's design is to have those fights over things. I am concerned about the extent of alignment happening within the Republican Party around these topics. Well, and let me tell you the other difference for the person talking back to this. 
The difference is those discussions on the Democratic Party come because we have the majority of the voters and not the majority of the legislators in state houses, in Congress, and in the Senate. The fight in the Republican Party is because you're falling into the minority and you don't like it. That's the difference. I'm sorry. I do not think those things are equivalent. I think having Republicans lose the popular vote in the presidential election Every time in my lifetime, but one, when you have Republicans that represent a filibuster-proof group in the United States Senate that only represents like 30% of the United States population, like this isn't about, you have reforms on the table as Democrats because you feel like the process is anti-democratic. That's one thing. If you're setting up anti-democratic processes because you're losing on the Republican side, that's a complete different thing. And I hear you on that. And also, everybody's not there. And I do want to acknowledge, again, where everybody's coming from and understanding that for a lot of people, being a Republican, being opposed to Democrats is really deeply ingrained for a lot of reasons. And I don't want to leave anybody out of this conversation by ignoring those concerns. I think that the other thing that I am interested in getting your thoughts on, because I feel like you you really are calmer about this than I am. I feel like you have a clear vision of the way that this is the undoing of the party, the way that this leads to electoral failure, the way that demographic shifts make this such a losing strategy long term. And I think you're right about all of that. Whenever I hear you say that, I'm like, OK, yep, yep, yep. I'm with you. And then I also think about how much damage a small group of highly motivated people can can do, especially when that small group is still like quite a few million people. And so I wonder how you're thinking, Sarah, about the rallies resuming, about Michael Flynn being out there actively and openly talking about a violent coup, about this strain of people who still think there's going to be some magic date on which Donald Trump becomes the president again. Do you see any... I'm especially thinking about like historical corollaries where a lot of damage can be done because of of a movement like that, even if it doesn't carry the day for the majority of Americans. Yeah, I think that there will be damage done, but it won't carry the day. I think that's a really good way to describe it. I think to do what they want to do, they have to have more people and they don't have those people. And I think the election of Donald Trump, as I said, consistently during the election of 2020 was an alignment of some very specific scenarios that got him to the presidency. And not even incumbency was enough to overcome not all of those scenarios being present, right? Like, I think that he was a historical in a lot of ways. Now, I'm going to talk out both sides of my mouth because I just said I think he is the completion of a pattern inside the Republican Party. But like that pattern was one of those pieces of the puzzle that aligned to get him elected in 2016. And I think what what gives me the greatest amount of, I don't know if hope's the right word, but at least a little bit of calm is the fact that he can't dominate media cycles like he can. Even if he gets back on Facebook, he's shut out of Twitter. And these people, as passionate as they are, aren't rolling up into the, the from the desk of Donald Trump blog every day, are they? No, they're not. That's why they shut it down, because nobody was reading it because nobody cared. Now, I think it is morphing into other more dangerous things. I think it's still a very much a cult of personality, but there are other people. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene's figured out how to tap that chemistry. She's raised a lot of money. You're right. Yeah, like that she she can, you know, she does a really good Trump impression. It's pretty it's pretty convincing. 
And there are lots of people for whom that will be very convincing. But like even the election to fill Deb Holland's seat, that it was such a blowout, that gives me a lot of hope that I think at the end of the day, the impact of the vaccine rollout, the end of the pandemic, the fact that all those people were impacted by the the stimulus checks that the economy is taking off. Like, I'm not saying that we don't have problems, but I think that stuff does impact people. Is it enough to undo some of the identity-based politics and the fear that they're going to push through like race-based campaigning techniques? No, of course not. Those people are still going to be motivated by that. But I just don't think there are enough of them. Now, all of that said, I think this is serious and we should pay attention to it. But what I don't want us to do is to feed the freaking flame. And I think that we are going to have to hold the fact that this is really dangerous because we're a two-party system, that these people are motivated to do damage and are becoming more and more successful at doing that damage to our democracy, and also understand that it is the fight that fuels them. And we cannot give in to that fight. And I think that's what's frustrating to me. It's like watching people say, sharing the like Ted Cruz getting dunked on by Jimmy Kimmel and thinking that helps anything is really frustrating to me because that side you think is so anti-democratic and you're right. And that side of the Republican Party that is so dangerous and on the move, you're all right about that. And also what fuels them is the fight. If we stopped paying attention, if we stopped fueling that news cycle, if we stopped Jimmy Kimmel, I'm talking to you. Trevor Noah, I'm talking to you. Dunking on them because it gets us clicks and views. Because that fuels them. If you, all you need to know is Ted Cruz rolled up into that dang convention bragging about how he went to Cancun. He raised money off it. Marjorie Taylor Greene raises money off every time a liberal commentator or a Democratic talks about what a bad person she is. And I think she's a bad person, but I don't talk about that anymore because I don't want Marjorie Taylor Greene or Ted Cruz to feel bad about themselves. I want them to stop winning elections. And that's what I think we need to pay attention to. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. 
They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I think it is more effective to talk about the issues than to add to the profile of mm-hmm. own the libs politicians. Yes. I think it is important to recognize that state Republican-led legislatures are, have been, most of them are going into recess now, but have been on a roll trying to make voting harder, trying to make the right to receive an abortion even narrower, or to outright ban it on the chance that the Supreme Court will go there with them, or trying to make transgender kids political footballs. And I think we need to be talking relentlessly about those efforts and explaining what they really are, because I truly believe that person who doesn't pay attention to politics and who will vote for a Democrat or a Republican in the next election and who might or might not show up for a midterm election can hear those issues and get mad about them if they really understand what's going on. I really believe that we can move people around those issues. I do not believe that we move people by dunking on politicians. I'll tell you the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and I know that this is going to upset people, and I, you know, again, I love you. We're, we're, we're all here with our differences. For me, one of the most off-putting things happening, not among Democratic leadership, Democratic leadership does not do this as much as Democratic influencers, but mm-hmm. in sort of the social media space, The constant, relentless assaults on people like Manchin and Cinema by folks with millions of followers. I'm not talking about somebody who's listening who has just like a regular account in life 
who gets aggravated with them. I totally understand that. But the the drumbeat of let's pile on to those two and let's act as though we wish they would get primaried by someone who was far more progressive, who, if you look at the reality of those states, would not win in an yep. election. I just find that so counterproductive to, again, those people who are marginally interested in politics, gettable voters, unpredictable voters. If I were a Democrat and... Well, I guess I am a Democrat now, but <laughs> if I were like a, you know, a really passionate Democrat, I feel like I would be walking around constantly bragging about the plethora of ideas that can exist in this party somewhat harmoniously. And just as an American, I feel really good about these meetings that are happening where you're mm-hmm. getting a Susan Collins, a Joe Manchin, who else? A Shelley Moore Capito. Yeah. Went to the White House by herself. West Virginia's got nothing but cred these days. Senator Capito is not one of those people who you say like, ooh, maybe she'll vote for this ever. And she is like sitting down trying to get some work done. I don't know that it works. I, I am very pessimistic on whether you get 10 Republican senators to vote for any initiative that is very, very important to Joe Biden. But I'm happy that some people are trying. And I feel like that's a bragging point for the Democratic Party right now. We're not all one thing. Hooray mm-hmm. that we're not all one thing. Look at those guys. They're trying so hard to all be one thing. Well, listen, I'm very frustrated with Joe Manchin. I am with the letter of experts that said, if you do not get this voting rights bill passed, our democracy is on the line. I think that's the right take. I think these state election changes, the state stacking the state election boards is like a five alarm fire. And also, I don't lead with that when I'm talking to my Republican friends that I'm trying to persuade. I lead with I want two healthy parties. I've been a Democrat since I was 18 years old, and I am concerned about the state of the Republican Party right now. When they are trying to make it illegal to pass out water bottles, then we have a problem Right. When they're trying to keep people from going to the polls after going to church because they know it's primarily black voters in Texas, we have a problem. And if you say stuff, they'll go, oh, yeah, they can't do that. That's what my stepdad always says. They can't do that. And I'm like, no, they'll, they can and they are. But like he doesn't he doesn't follow it bit by bit. Right. And he, there's a lot of people because they do are not consumed with politics, have a vision of like sort of both sides mess it up. That's still very prominent in conversations I have. Well, I just think they're both kind of like they're both so corrupt and both parties are jacked up. And that's the that's the line. And so I do my best to say, no, that's not the case right now. I understand where you're coming from. And I want two healthy functioning parties. And one party is in a very different place than the other party. And it's concern. It should be concerning for all of us. I don't do Ted Cruz is a tube worm. Don't you agree? Because that's not going to move anybody. I've just eliminated myself as a person who has any sort of objectivity when it comes to this. And that's what independent people who are persuadable want to hear. And again, I'm not trying to win the moral argument. I'm trying to win the political argument. I don't care if Ted Cruz cries into his pillow every night because he knows he's such a head. I want Ted Cruz to lose the next election. That's what I care about. That's what I care about. And I just think it gets to this place where, like, we want them to be convinced of how bad they are. And that's great. Y'all can keep trying that, but it's not going to work and it's not going to change anything. I don't want them to feel bad about themselves. I want them to lose. 
there's a bill going through the Senate in regular order right now um, related to the Endless Frontier Act, which is something that Chuck Schumer and Todd Young, a Republican senator from Indiana, have been working together on about research and development money. How can the United States make sure that China is not eating our lunch in terms of our understanding of technology, our defense system, cybersecurity? There's all kinds of stuff in it. It's, it's a really good bill. That has gotten to be less good as it has gone through regular order because regular order means everybody gets to take a bite at it, right? Mm -hmm. And it gets loaded up with stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the underlying bill and things get watered down and you end up passing something that nobody thinks is great, but it does get something done. And watching that happen right now feels like the most nostalgic wonderland. That's how I felt about the White House meetings about infrastructure. I was like, put it in my veins. I love this. Like, they're debating the spending and is it going to come from the this and this fund? I'm like, I don't, I barely understand what you're talking about. And I love it. It makes me so happy. Well, I feel exactly the same way. And so let me say, I agree with you that the voting rights issue is a five alarm fire. And I also think that the idea that the For the People Act is going to get passed as it is today through the United States Senate whether on a 51-vote majority or a 60-vote majority, is a fantasy and is probably not good for America. It is good for America when we go through these things. I really support the Biden administration's vision around treating childcare as infrastructure. I do not think that's going to happen this time around, and I think that is okay. Because as we have seen with people like Bernie Sanders and people like Andrew Yang, you start talking about something enough It picks up momentum, and there is a point at which it becomes inevitable, and we're just not to that point yet. And I get that people are suffering in the meantime. I understand these problems and think about them a lot. And just the way we're designed, things are supposed to be hard and take a long time, and our solutions that come out are necessarily imperfect. And so I think the struggles that we're having right now are pretty good struggles, and that's why, to me, it is important to continue to elect people like Manchin and Cinema across the country who will struggle with these things, but who will not try to make it harder for anybody to vote and who will not try to install people who will change the way the votes are counted at the last minute if they don't like the way the tally's mm-hmm. coming together. I'm reading Rabbi Jonathan Sachs' The Home We Build Together right now. It's so good. And I don't agree with everything that he says in this book, but a point that he makes is he talks about morality and moral codes and how we've abandoned moral codes, which means politics has to hold everything. And we talked about that a lot in our book and on the show. And he talks about, you know, what happens is there are no moral truths. There is only victory. And so our opponents have to get demonized because we're putting all of morality on this. And I think... That's what's so hard and that's that that is what is so destructive in American politics right now is that you can both feel that the child care crisis in this country is a moral outrage and also acknowledge the political reality that exists currently in the United States Senate. And we have just decided that the only way to express your moral outrage is to decide that Ted Cruz is Satan walking around. And if you take a stance, anything less than that, then you don't care. And I just think we have to let that go because, again, politics is about power. 
And I want, now listen, I want power in certain circles because it aligns with my moral values, but I try to hold those things separately because just like we talked about with Susan Page, when you're there to take holy pictures and hold up your morality and how much you are a better person than Ted Cruz or Marjorie Taylor Greene, which whoever we're talking about, you probably are, but that's not the point, right? The point is to use power to help people and acknowledging the political reality, acknowledging how to use that power most effectively is not about morality. It's just about the political reality on the ground. That's why I really appreciate the leadership of Joe Biden, because honestly, I think he knows the difference. I think he knows when it's a moral issue, and I think that he can also hold the political reality very clearly in front of him. And I just think all of us could channel a little bit of that energy right now, because often moralizing makes our political reality more difficult. I'm going to say that one more time. Moralizing makes our political reality more difficult. And so if we want to have political success, then we have to keep the moralizing in check. And none of this is to dunk on progressives. Because it is really important to have people like Representative Bowman in Congress who are pushing. It is important to have, you know, Senator Sanders. He represents a lot of people in the United States, and it's important that he's there. I think Mitt Romney represents a lot of people in the United States. It's important that he's there. I look at Senator Sinema, who gets criticism from every angle six ways to Sunday, and I think, you know, would I personally wear a T-shirt on the floor of the United States Senate? Would I curtsy as I vote against a minimum wage increase. Like, there are a lot of things in her stylistically that I don't get. And there are a lot of decisions that she makes that I don't really get. But she is representing people. And it is important that those people be represented there. What I don't want for the Democratic Party, let me say it this way. I don't want the Democratic Party to invite in the toxicity that I think has led the Republican Party to censuring people for voting their conscience. I don't want that strain of it has to be this one right way or you're not on the team to infect the party that's kind of like having to hold all the healthy democratic attributes of our country right now for everybody. I think that's unsustainable in the long term, which is why I want a functioning, healthy other party. But I worry about the push to get everybody in one path from people outside the political infrastructure who wield lots of power and influence. Because I think one of the best things the Democratic Party has going for it right now is that huge spectrum of ideas. Listen, nobody's, I'm not mad at anybody in the political party. Bernie Sanders is out there dunking on Ted Cruz. He doesn't do that. You know what I mean? Like, he's smart enough to get that that just makes Ted Cruz's name more popular and out out in the zeitgeist. I'm really mad at, like, Jimmy Kimmel and Trevor Noah because I don't think they're helping. And I know why they're doing it. And I think it gets them lots of views. And listen, everybody's got a job to do. But, like, politically, it doesn't help. And I think, you know, drawing attention and giving them coverage and making them heroes and their own party and with their own ideological extreme base is not helping. And following that and sharing that, like, I do think we should all just, like, check ourselves. I know it feels good to dunk on Ted Cruz. I've done it on this podcast. I'm just saying that, like, it doesn't always help. So if I think about my goal here, I think we've assessed what's going on, action items as a citizen. I want to talk about issues instead of 
contributing to the high profile of people I don't like. And the health of both parties. I want to think about the health of both parties. I think that's very good in conversation with people who disagree with you. And I want to keep paying attention even when I don't feel like it. We have this like thin veneer of okayness permeating from the Biden administration where things are moving, as we talked about in the first block, in a really strong direction. But like just under that veneer, there are some real dangers and and we cannot afford to check out on those. And I think that the other really key component is to, as much as we can, distinguish bringing awareness to a real and dangerous problem from moralizing. Hard turn. So we're going from Five Alarm Anti-Democratic Fire to Olivia Rodrigo's new album, Sour, which we're both obsessed with. I love it. It's perfect. I love this. I love this journey for us. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. 
leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I've listened to this album many times already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing that I really like about it is that, you know, as a 40-year-old mom of two living in Kentucky, I have a feeling that Olivia did not have me in her mind when she was writing this. Mm-hmm. And also, there are aspects of her lyrics that speak to pretty much every phase I've been through in my life. And there's something relatable even at my current life stage and holy moly, does she speak to previous life stages in a beautiful way. And I think that that's where you see the real gift of a songwriter when when you can, when your lyrics transcend stage of life. You know, I was walking down the street playing driver's license out loud with my two children because I do what I want. And that's that's what I wanted to do is listen to that song for perhaps the 50th time that day. And Griffin was like, ugh whatever. This song is the worst. And then I disowned him and made him find a new family. No, I'm just kidding. But I told him, I was like, look, this is coming your way. Heartbreak is so hard and also worth it because it opens up all this art to you. (laughs) And now you get to listen to driver's license and be like, yeah. And then you get to listen to Trader and say, yeah, you might not have cheated, but you're still a traitor. I have been there. I have lived that. I've lived it. It was many, many years ago. We won't tell. We won't talk about how many, but it's so good. Like even my friend Leslie was like me, age forty, singing about where's my teenage dream. Even the song, like the angry. I thought that song was so good. Let's look at. I'm not a teenager. I'm not Gen Z. I don't understand that pressure. But when she says, "All I did was try my best," this is the kind of things I get. Like I feel it. I feel it. I'm t- about to turn forty, and I still feel it. I just think like her, and also like it's not easy to write like a angry dance song but she wrote two there's such bops i love them so much well and i think that even some of these lyrics can take you out of the romantic context as well Mm -hmm. the song happier where she says find someone great but don't find no one better like i feel that way about work if i'm being perfectly honest like i really hope things are going well at my former employer and that people miss me and (laughs) i think it's a beautiful thing to like just be able to put words to that, you know, and, and words that can mean a lot of different things depending on your headspace. Oh, in the end where she says, does she know how proud I am she was created? <laughs> Look, I can cry right now just reading the lyric. It's so good. And, you know, here's the other thing. When you find somebody like this, like we all remember the first time we heard Taylor Swift. At least I do. Or the first time. I mean, I felt this way about Amy Winehouse's first album. I felt this way about the Dixie Chicks. There's just a sense of like, oh, I cannot wait to see 
what else that you can, if you can express yourself so well and so fully at 17, I am so psyched to hear what you're going to be writing at 30, you know, and like what's going to happen when you have kids or if you don't have kids or whatever, like all that life journey and how it's going to play out because you are clearly like the muse has you, you're like in a really good working relationship with them. And I am very excited to see um, what happens next is why we're all so excited about Casey Musgrave's breakup album. Come on, because she broke up with her husband, and we all know it's going to be the best music. Just like Adele. I feel really bad about that. I do feel bad about those moments when you're like, they had a breakup. Yay. But it makes the best art. It's just the truth. John Craigie says, artists are better when they're bummed. And, I mean, that's right. <laughs> and you see that with Taylor Swift. I mean, I think folklore is leaps and bounds ahead of her early stuff. And I liked her early stuff. So I, I agree about being excited about the future. Okay, Sarah, you wanted to do favorite song, favorite lyric from Sour. Okay, okay, you go first. Why do I have to go first? Because I'm not ready. I think that my favorite song is Deja Vu. Okay. Because I think, if, if you haven't listened to it, she is talking about how weird it is that you have these really intimate experiences with someone and then they go repeat those with someone else. And it's just, I think that is a universal, ubiquitous feeling. She also references Billy Joel, right. not just you once. You always win with a Billy Joel And you reference. get so many points for that. So I, I really, really like that song. I think my favorite lyric is in Good For You, where she says, I guess that you've been working on yourself. I guess that therapist I found for you, she really helped. Because, I mean, story of my life. Story of my life. And I just, I really loved that little little tweak. She can turn a phrase. She's good. She can turn a phrase. I mean, look, I think my favorite song probably is Driver's License. It's a, it's a hit song. for a reason. Yeah. It has an SNL skit for a reason. It like the the momentum in that song is so good. When she breaks into the red light stop signs, I just feel like I could fly. SNL says like, that, just, right? Get ready for the bridge of your life. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. So good. I think my favorite line in any song isn't happier where she says, like, cutting her down makes you miss my wretched heart. Like, I just think that's like, she's got it all right there. Like, I want to go after her. I want to cut her down, but I know it's not going to miss you. And I just like wretched heart. Come on. It's so good. But there's a lot. Listen, I got a list. I got a list of lines in that album that I just think are killer. I know that beauty is not my lack, but it feels like that weight is on my back. Come on, Olivia. You're killing it out there, girl. You're killing it. She just, listen, she can turn a phrase. It's just like Taylor Swift. I mean, there's so many times where she has two lines and you're like, you could write a whole screenplay in those two lines. It's so good. It contains so much. Most relevant line to political podcasters, I'm the love of your life until I make you mad. Oh, my God. So good. Yes. Yes. It's so true. Oh, it's that is the truest thing you've ever said. It's the truest thing you've ever said right there. <laughs> you and Olivia have captured it. It's so good, and it's uh, it's so fun. I think when and it's just fun too when everybody's listening to something. It is. We don't fun. have a lot yeah. of experiences like that anymore. You know, like we don't always watch the same thing. Everybody's watching things at different pace. But like, I put it on my Instagram. Like, oh no, she's got me. How long am I going to be in her spell? And everybody was like, forever. Well, I got a range. I got two weeks to forever. <laughs> so I think it's just fun that everybody's out there listening to it and loving it. And I even played it for my grandmother, and she was like, "It's a really good song." I'm like, "I know, right?" Right. It's so good. It's just a, it's a good song. It's a good bop, it as is. the kids say. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics. We love that you guys are willing to hang with us through, like, COVID Hope, Democratic Five Along Fire, and then the album of the summer. Listen, 
It's a journey. It's always a journey here at Pantsuit Politics. We will be back in your ears on Tuesday. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Megan Hart is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. David McWilliams. Jared Minson. Emily Neasley. Danny Osmond. The Pantsuits! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Karen True. Amy Whited. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless. Paula Bremer. And Tim Miller. To support Pantsuit Politics and receive lots of bonus features, visit patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics. You can also connect with us on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter and follow us on Instagram at pantsuitpolitics.